0: my 30 years and they played the part very well but he has the heart of a pastor and when he stands before God I know he's going to say great is your reward for your faithfulness so he's played a huge part in my life and in my family and I'm just so thankful to be here so and I'm thankful that my parents dragged me along I got to tag along with them sometimes I can be annoying especially when I'm pregnant so I'm glad they let me come. <laughs> Thankful for my husband and my little girl that's in the back. So thank you all so much for just letting me be here so you guys can be seated. Um, I was wrestling back and forth about what to talk about. And I actually text Brother Jack. And I was like, I don't know what to talk about because I don't want to scare them. So <laughs> sometimes I can be a little harsh. So I'm not going to be mean today, I promise. But if the pregnancy hormones kick in, just... Take it with grace. Amen. So I was thinking me and my mom were actually having this discussion yesterday that so many of us are going through so much warfare. Amen. Or if I'm the only one. Okay, real quick. I'm like my dad. I like the audience to participate. Makes me feel like I'm not alone. So we're just going to all have a good time. Amen. (laughs) Anyway. We were talking about how many people are going through these circumstances and trials and tribulations, and it is so easy to want to give up and lose the faith. It would be easier for me to just walk away from the calling than to press towards the mark of the high calling. It would be easier for me to just say, forget it. I'm going to go live my life the best way I can, and God, you do you, I do me, but I'm done. Have we all ever been there before? Because the enemy always wants to distract us he can't wear us down he can't destroy us truthfully he can't come and like just kill us so he tries to make us just forfeit out of the game he tries to scare us he tries to say your prayers are not working your fasting isn't working your sowing seeds isn't working so you might as well just give up he basically wants you to just call it quits amen i always say this at my church and i'm going to say it here and i think actually pastor jack has said it before but the enemy, he wants to come to steal your faith. I'm sorry, steal your focus, kill your faith, so he can destroy your future. He wants to steal your focus, kill your faith, so he can destroy your future. So if you'll go to Numbers 13, I'm going to skip back and forth with a lot of different scripture. But Numbers 13:26 through 33. Now, these children of Israel, if I was the Lord, I would have just killed them. Straight up. They are the most babyish bipolar group of people I've ever met. I was reading this and I was like, My goodness, they are just, woo, they need some heavy duty medicine <laughs> or heavy duty Holy Ghost, however you want it. But so it says in numbers thirteen twenty six it says the men went back to Moses and Aaron, the entire Israelite community in the wilderness of Paran in Kadesh. They brought back a report from them and the whole community, and they showed them the fruit of the land. They reported to Moses, we went into the land where you sent us. Indeed, it is flowing with milk and honey, and here is some of its fruit. However... The people living in the land are strong, and the cities are large and fortified. We also saw the descendants of Anak there. The Amalekites are living in the land of the Negev. The Hittites, the Jebusites, the Amorites live on the hill country. And the Canaanites live by the sea along the Jordan. So if you go down to verse number 31, it says, But the men who had gone up with him responded, We can attack the people. We cannot attack the people. I'm sorry. We cannot attack the people because they are stronger than we are. So they gave a negative report to the Israelites about the land that they had scouted. The land was passed through to explore in one of the devourers and the hypocrites. And all the people we saw are men of great size. We even saw the Nephilim there, the descendants of Anak. They come from the Nephilim. To ourselves, we seemed like grasshoppers, and we must have seen the same to them. Now, I want to ask you something. Did they ever get attacked in the scripture? Did anybody ever come to them and threaten them? Did they ever get ambushed? Did, through the night, someone beat one of their friends up? Did they try to kill them? Not one time. But yet, they go to Moses and say, we can't take the land. Because our enemy seems too big. But isn't it funny? They go to Moses with this huge cluster of grapes. They say, this is of great size. This is what God has for us. But... This army is bigger. This enemy is bigger. Their focus was on the the giants instead of the grapes. And so many times we talk ourselves out of miracles because we focus on the giants instead of the grapes. Before we even hit our knees to pray, well, God's not going to save my husband because, well, his alcoholism is bigger than the God that I serve. God's not going to deliver me from debt because, you know, this is bigger than the provider that I serve. We always talk ourselves out of miracles. Amen. Amen. In Numbers 13, we find a group of people who have forgotten the God that they serve. They have spiritual amnesia. You know, in the church today, like I said, I've been in this thing since I was a week old, so I've seen a lot. (laughs) And it's mind-blowing to me that I will literally stand in a service next to someone and I will see God heal them, restore their marriage, do everything that they asked on their prayer request for. But 30 days later, let a negative report come up and they're out of church. They have spiritual amnesia. They forget the God they serve. They forget his faithfulness, his goodness, his kindness. They're so focused on the enemy that they can't even see the Savior in front of them. Isn't it funny how God physically led the children of Israel out of Egypt? He led them out of slavery. He led them out of bondage, but their minds were still bound. They were still, they were spiritually or they were physically free, but spiritually, and mentally, they were slaves to fear and doubt. Their mouths became their chains. If you go down to Numbers 14, it find, we find this group of people here, and you know the Bible says that the ones that gave the negative report, they actually died in the wilderness, them and their children. Let that sink in. Their mouth killed them and their children. Because what life and death is what in the power of the tongue. So what legacy are you killing with your negative report? What miracle for your babies are you killing with your negative report? You're not even giving God a chance to work because you're so focused on the attack that you forget to look at his goodness. Their mouths became their chains. See, what I love about God is even though there's giants, we know that. We know there's armies. We know there's warfare. We know, yes, they were surrounded. But in God, the grapes are always greater than the giants. I can promise you that. When you go after the grapes, you're going to get the reward. If you focus on the grapes instead of the giants, you will always get the blessing. Amen? Amen. I hope this is okay. Oh, oh, good. (laughs) If I could urge any of us something that I have been trying myself. You know, I growing up in church and, you know, getting saved very young and being on fire for God in my early 20s. And, you know, that was all great. I thought I was, you know, awesome. This is great. You know, I'm, I'm not going to have any difficulties. But, man, when you become a parent, that all changes. <laughs> and I can tell you today, I have more... A drive to stay focused for my babies than I ever have before because I don't know about you guys but I refuse to let the government tell me how to raise my babies I refuse to let the public school tell me that a boy can go to the bathroom with my daughter I'm, I refuse for that but I refuse for culture to cancel out my Christianity and if that if I have to if I'm gonna stand my ground then I have to set my gaze I can't go through this Christian walk and be flip-sided one way. One day I'm saved, one day I'm not. For Livy and Lainey, I cannot afford to get distracted. Their legacy, their calling rides on my focus. Amen? So we have to protect what we see. So, you know, in the Bible, when Joshua, he was going up to Jericho, God literally said, See, today I have given you Jericho. Before they even went up to the walls, he said, see. See, today I've given you Jericho. So I want you to ask your neighbor, are you seeing good? We have to protect what we see. So how do we protect what we see? Well, first, we have to guard what we hear. In First Kings 18, 42 through 43, if you'll go there with me, And I promise I won't be long. I'm pregnant and love to eat, so my belly starts rumbling. Y'all know it's time for me to quit. <laughs> First Kings 18.42 So Ahab went to eat and drink, but Elijah went up to the summit of Carmel. He bent down on the ground and put his face between his knees. Then he said to his servant, go up and look for- toward the sea. So he went up, looked, and said, there's nothing. Seven times Elijah said, go back. On the seventh time, he reported, there's a cloud as small as a man's hand coming out from the sea. When you study out what Elijah did there, when it says there's two different things, when he put his head in between his knees. Babe, can I use you for a second? (laughs) He didn't know I was going to do this. (laughs) Can you squat down for me, please? just a little bit. I need you to like, I can't, so I need you to put your head. There you go. Yeah, if I do that, we'll have a baby here on this floor, so we're not gonna do that. (laughs) So when Elijah did this, there's two things that happened. Number one, his ears went in between, or I'm sorry, yeah, his ears went in between his legs. Why? You have to block out the enemy's negative report. Because, see, what was so funny is while Elijah was doing that, he did not say to his servant, I hear a sound. If you study that out, really, he says there is a sound. There's a big difference there. He declared it before he ever heard it. I can't declare when my mind and ears are cluttered up with other people's words. So we all need to spiritually go into our mind and declutter the things the enemy has spoken. Go in there and declutter the things that other people have said about your miracle. Number two, in this position, this is how the Israelite women would birth. He got into a birthing position. Why? Because you have to be focused to birth a miracle. You can't, you can't be distracted. Thanks, babe. Appreciate it. See, when I was pregnant with Livy, and I went into the delivery room, I, they kept telling me, you know, you have to stay focused, Holly. You have to stay focused. And I was a not focused person before the epidural hit. I was all over the place, screaming, crying, you know, wanting to leave. I asked my mom if we could just try this again another day. I was done. But they kept telling me, get you a focal point. And when you press into that focal point, the pain Will all go away. The pain, it'll all be worth it. When you focus on the fact that household salvation is really within your reach, the tears and the crying and the lonely nights will all be worth it. When you get a focal point that healing is the children's bread, that your God wants to heal heal you, not only that he wants to heal you, but he can heal you All the times that you went through a prayer line and it didn't happen, those will all slip your mind when you get that healing. You have to have a focal point and this is why. They kept telling me if I got distracted and I forgot to breathe, it would kill my baby. It would cut off her oxygen. She would get stuck and then I would come home with no baby. How many of us walk out of these doors, every single service without our breakthrough because we forgot to focus and breathe? Be still and know that I am God. What does that mean? I'm focusing and I'm breathing. I'm going to come down here one more time, God, even though I'm going through hell, my home life's a mess, my work life's a wreck, my bank account's empty. I'm going to focus and breathe. I'm going to stand still and see the salvation of the Lord. Amen. So we have to get us a focal point in the faith. The second point is when we protect what we see, we have to guard what we say. In Jeremiah 111, we find this guy named Jeremiah, and God says to him, Jeremiah, what do you see? He didn't ask what season it was. He didn't ask how Jeremiah was doing. He didn't ask what was surrounding Jeremiah. He said, Jeremiah, I want to know what you see. Jeremiah was in the middle of a winter season. Everything around him was dead. Does that relate to anybody? Everything around you seems dead. Everyone else is getting their breakthrough but you. Everyone else is getting saved but your family. Everyone else is getting this great amount of money, but here you are counting quarters. That was literally me, okay. Everyone else has their breakthrough but you. Everything around you is dead. But Jeremiah responds to God and he says, I see an almond tree budding. Even in the middle of winter, Jeremiah, you see spring coming? Yes. Why? Because I refuse to let my speech determine my season. I refuse to let what I say forfeit me out of my season. Yes, I'm going through a season of warfare, but I know the God that I serve. And guess what? Seasons don't last forever, but God's goodness does. His goodness does not change. Everything around you might be changing and might be going chaotic, He does not. He is constant. He is constant in your chaos. Your season might be weary. It might be a drought. It might be all of these situations, but do not allow your speech to determine the season you're in. That's why the Bible says, taste and see that he is good. Taste and see. See, I can't feast on his faithfulness when I'm focused on the foolishness around me. You look at Hannah in the Bible. She didn't have a baby yet, but yet she had the love of a husband who adored her, who worshiped her, who wanted to give her a double portion, but she couldn't even feast because she was so focused on what the enemy had that she did it. So many of us, we, we don't want to sit at the table God's prepared for us in the presence of our enemies because we're so focused on the enemy. Amen? Amen. We're so focused on what they're saying, what they're doing, what they have, that we can't even see the blessing God has in front of us. I can't feast on his faithfulness when I'm focused on their foolishness. The third point is we have to guard what we hold. So guard what I hear, guard what I say, and guard what I hold. I, asked, I actually asked my dad if he was going to talk about this, because I'm going to steal it from him. He steals my sermons all the time. So I'm just going to steal a little bit of his. So, so tonight will probably be one of my sermons he preaches to y'all. It'll probably be a really good one, too. So there, growing up, I've always heard this story. And there was a woman named Betty Baxter. I know Brother Jack has heard the story several times. But Betty was a little girl growing up and she had this horrible condition where her bo- her bones and joints just twisted together. She was in a vegetable state her whole entire life. She never could walk, she never could run, she could not even put clothes on. All she could do was lay in a bed day in and day out, every single day. And every single day her mom would go into the living room and ask God to give her baby a miracle. She was faithful in praying. She was consistent in praying. See, a lot of us, we are big babies when it comes to that. The first time we pray and God doesn't work, we're like, well, forget it, I'm done. No, 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 no. In this walk, we have to be consistent in the fight. She constantly prayed, she constantly pursued. And one day, God visited her, and he said, I'm gonna heal your baby girl on Sunday at three o'clock. Well, she was praying still, and she heard a scream from Betty's room, and she runs to check on Betty, Betty said, Mom, God just came into my room and told me at 3 o'clock on Sunday, He's going to heal my body, and I'm going to get to run like every other little girl. So Betty told her mom, she said, Mom, I want you to buy me a dress and a pair of shoes, and I want you to hang it in my room. So up until Sunday at 3, I'm going to say, come Sunday, I'm putting that on. She got her a focal point in the faith. So what does the mom do? She goes to town. She buys a dress. She looks crazy to everybody. Everyone's thinking she's lost her mind. Everyone honestly feels sorry for her. You're buying that little girl a dress when you know she can't wear it. And her response was, she can't wear it yet. Yet. But Sunday's coming. So Sunday comes at 2.50. Everyone's around the house. Even the pastor was doubting if this was really gonna happen. And they're all standing outside the home and at three o'clock, they heard these popping and this screaming and all of these different noises. And then out shoots Betty running out of her house with the dress and shoes running around her house. God had healed her body. So my dad has preached on that sermon several times throughout my life. He's even went into my closet and got a dress to use before as the illustration. So I knew this sermon very well. But it's a totally different ballpark when you hear the sermon and we you actually have to hold on to something. So here, you know, it's a miracle today that I'm standing before you with a pregnant belly and a little girl that's in class. Because I was told I would never have children. I was told my body could not produce anything to make a child. We would, I would never carry full term. I would lose the baby. So one night, me and my husband, we went to TJ Maxx and we bought us a baby blanket. And every single night, I held on not just to the blanket, but I held on to his promise. Every single night, I said, God, I know you're going to do it. I know you're going to do it. And that story and my story reminds me of a woman in the Bible, the Shunammite woman. How many of us know her story? She asked God for a child, and yet the prophet comes through town, and instead of building a nursery— She builds a room for the prophet. She makes room for the Holy Spirit to come in. See, when I was getting ready for Livy, what we would do before I was even pregnant, we cleaned out this old junk room. It was filled with old suitcases, old stuff from before I got married, old clothes that didn't fit anymore, just just a junk room. And I took that junk room and I made it into my nursery. And so many of us spiritually have so much junk that if God blessed you today, it wouldn't even fit into your life. You have so much unforgiveness that he can't even give you peace. You have so much bitterness, he cannot even give you joy. Because you need to clean out the room in your heart to make room for what you're asking for. One thing I discovered with Livy when I was pregnant I was actually getting ready to speak at a women's conference, and I actually I was on a podcast last week and I shared this story. I was getting ready at a women's conference in Farmington, that was actually the last time I spoke pregnant. I told Miss Lisa that service did not go as well because I got really tired and grumpy, but this time that's not going to happen. So, I was getting ready at a Holiday Inn, curling my hair, and two days before I went to go preach, the doctor had told me that Livy had a heart condition. That came out of nowhere. We had had several ultrasounds, almost lost her for a whole other reason, but yet they tell me she has a heart condition. And I'm standing there curling my hair, and I'm like, God, I'm about to go preach to these women, and I need you to heal my baby girl. You're about to heal all of these women, but yet my daughter's in need. And I'll never forget, in the most stern fatherly voice, he says, I will not heal her heart until you let me first heal your heart. Because what nobody knew is there was a situation going on in my family and with this individual that went to my church, and I had harbored so much unforgiveness and hatred for them that my bitterness was blocking my blessing. How many of us are sitting here today? You don't have to raise your hand. We'll wait till the altar call for that. Your bitterness is blocking your blessing. Your unforgiveness is blocking your blessing. Your heart condition, spiritually, is affecting things around you. Why do you think the Bible says, out of the heart, come the issues of life? Why are there so many issues in your life? Check your heart. But I had to, that day, I said, God, you know what? Forgive me. Help me to forgive. Help me to walk in forgiveness if I have to forgive them every second of every day, if I, if I can't even blink without saying, God, help me to forgive them, I would rather walk in peace than pettiness any day of the week. Because that peace is a result of His presence, and His presence will not come into a junky room. We have to hold on to the promise, even in the pain. And we have to say to ourselves, "I refuse to make my miracle messy," because when I can't pick up my miracle, when I'm picking up messes around me, when I'm picking up unforgiveness, when I'm picking up hurt, amen. You have to hold on to the promise even in the pain, and that's what with the Shunammite woman, she.